Christina to keep it spotless, take a few days off and drive down to Saint-Tropez before all the girls went back to Paris. Not even the weather forecast on the radio, scattered showers followed by outbreaks of heavier rain with a chance of hail, could dampen his spirits. This was going to be a good day. At this time of the morning, twenty minutes should have been more than enough to get him into the Lawton brothers' offices. They were at the top end of Threadneedle Street, handy for the Bank of England, as the senior Lawton brother was fond of telling his prospective clients. Established in the late 80s, the company had boomed through the 90s with everyone else, merging and acquiring, ducking and diving, and gaining a reputation for savage asset stripping that was the envy of its more ethical and kind-hearted competitors. Young executives who survived a few years at Lawton's could survive anywhere. Max's cell phone rang as he was coming down Ludgate Hill. It was just before 6.30. Taking the morning off, are we? It was the voice of Amos. He didn't wait for Max to answer. We need to talk. See if you can get in here by lunchtime. Tracy will tell you the restaurant. So much for my good day, Max thought. Although, if he were honest with himself, no day that included Amos could be entirely good. Mutual dislike had been in the air the instant the two men met, when Amos had swaggered in fresh from spending three years in New York to run the London office. From the start, their relationship had been tainted, as is so often the case in England, by the simple difference in the way they spoke English, their accents. Max was the product of a minor public school and had grown up in the leafy middle-class comfort of the Surrey Hills. Amos was born and raised in the grim outer reaches of South London, neither leafy nor comfortable. In fact, they had grown up less than twenty miles apart, but it might as well have been twenty thousand. Max liked to think that there was not a trace of snobbery in him. Amos liked to think that he didn't have a chip on his shoulder. They were both wrong. But each had a grudging respect for the other's ability, and so, with difficulty, they tolerated one another. Easing the BMW into its appointed slot in the underground garage, Max tried to guess the reason for today's meeting. Lunch at Lawton's was normally a sandwich at your desk, eyes glued to the screen. Max was still puzzling over it as he stepped out of the elevator and made his way through the rows of partitions to his own cubicle. Max hung up his jacket and got down to work, running the numbers one final time on Transax and Richardson Bell, the two companies whose charms he was peddling to one of Lawton's larger clients. If the deal went through, it was going to earn him a bonus that was, he had calculated, considerably more than the Prime Minister made in a year. He checked and double-checked, and the right answers came up each time. Now he was ready to present everything to the brothers. They could move in, and he would be six figures richer. He leaned back in his chair, stretched, and glanced at his watch. It was past twelve o'clock, and he realized he had no idea where he was supposed to be for lunch. He crossed the floor to where Tracy, a brisk and well-upholstered young woman, was on sentry duty outside the corner office. She had recently been promoted from Amos's secretary to his personal assistant, a step up, so off his rumour had it, that was the direct result of a dirty weekend with Amos in Paris. Sadly, promotion had spoiled her, making her cocky and self-important. Max perched on the corner of her desk and nodded toward the empty office. Are we still on for lunch, or is he busy causing havoc in the stock exchange? Tracy looked as though she'd like to have given him a ticket for parking in a restricted area. Mr. Amos will meet you at the Leadenhall Cellars, 12.30 sharp. You're not to be late. Max raised his eyebrows. The cellars, once a storage depot for the old Leadenhall market, had been turned into a gentrified wine bar. 
Despite the bare brick walls and the sawdust on the floor, it was one of the city's most expensive restaurants. He's dipping into his savings, isn't he? said Max. Any idea what it's about? Tracy looked down at her desk and rearranged some papers. Not a clue. The offhand tone of her voice was unconvincing and, Max found, irritating. Tracy, there's something I've been dying to ask you. She looked up. How was Paris? So it was true. Leaving her to her blushes, Max went back to get his jacket and an umbrella, bracing himself for a dash through the rain to Leadenhall Street. He arrived in the crowded, vaulted room to find Amos already at the table, cell phone to his ear. During his time among the movers and shakers of Wall Street, Amos had picked up some of their more flamboyant sartorial affectations, the aggressively striped shirt with white collar, the scarlet braces, the tie spattered with bulls and bears, decorative flourishes that clashed with his hard, thin-lipped face and convict's haircut. Whatever he wore, he would always look like a thug. But he had a genius for deal-making, and for that he was much loved by the Lawton brothers. He finished his call and made a point of looking at his watch, gold and even bulkier than Max's. What happened to you then? Lost your way? Max helped himself to a glass of red wine from the bottle on the table. Sorry about that, umbrella jam in Leadenhall Street. Amos grunted, signalled to one of the waitresses and suddenly became jovial. You know what would make me a happy man, my love? He gave her a wink and a smirk. A nice, juicy sirloin, well-cooked, none of that blood all over the place. Get enough of that in the office. The waitress did her best to smile. And chips. And then I'll have the creme brulee for afters, got that? His cell phone chirped and he muttered into it while Max ordered lamb chops and a salad. Amos put down his phone and took a gulp of wine. Right then, give me the rundown on Transax and Richardson Bell. For the next half hour, Max went through the figures and projections, his analysis of the management, and the possibilities of corporate loot and plunder that he had been working on since the start of the year. Amos ate his way through the presentation, making notes on the pad by his plate, but offering neither question nor opinion. Max finished talking and pushed aside the remains of his congealed chops. Well, is this why we're having lunch? Not exactly. The waitress came to clear away the plates, which appeared to be the cue Amos had been waiting for. I've been having a chat with the brothers, and they share my concerns. What are you talking about? Your performance, my friend. Your productivity. You've been like the walking wounded this year. Pathetic. You know what I've been putting together over the past six months. I've just told you. Max had to make an effort to keep his voice down. And you know bloody well that deals like this don't happen in a couple of weeks. They take time. Amos greeted the arrival of his creme brulee with another wink at the waitress. Won't wash, my friend. Won't wash. You want to know what's wrong? Personal life's getting in the way. Too many late nights, too much chasing after Totty. You've lost the killer instinct. Taking his spoon, he stabbed his dessert through the heart. That's crap and you know it. Both those companies are ripe. This deal is as good as sewn up. Amos looked up at him. You've got that right anyway. What do you mean? I'm taking it over. Amos spooned in another mouthful, crunching the caramelized sugar between his teeth. Max took a deep breath. We'll see what the Lawtons have to say about that. They're too late, sunshine. They're salted. I got the green light from them this morning. Max saw months of work wiped out. 
Even worse, he saw his bonus disappearing into Amos's bank account as his unpaid bills piled up and the bank moved in to tighten the noose around his neck. You can't do that. It's bloody daylight robbery. It's stealing. Where have you been living? It's business. That's what it is. Business. Nothing personal, no hard feelings. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I've had a tip about a little engineering firm, but I won't have time for that now. You can take it over. A memory came back to Max from many years ago, when his uncle Henry was giving him a lecture about life. Better to die on your feet than live on your knees. Max came to a decision. I can take it over, can I? I can work it up, and then when it's all set, I can get screwed again. Is that what you're saying? Max leaned across the table. Well, you can stuff your little engineering firm, and you can stuff your job. I'm not going to work for a thieving prick like you. Amos felt a glow of satisfaction as Max pushed back his chair. Lunch had gone according to plan. He'd received a detailed, up-to-date brief on the deal, and, since Max had resigned, there wouldn't be any severance to pay. Perfect. Suit yourself. Your decision. Make sure your desk is cleared out by this evening. OK. Max stood up. But Amos hadn't finished with him. Aren't you forgetting something, my friend? The company vehicle. He held out his hand. I'll have the car keys if you don't mind. Max took the keys from his pocket and hesitated for a moment before dropping them carefully into Amos's half-eaten creme brulee. Amos watched him go. He reached for his cell phone and punched in Tracy's number. During the walk back to the office, Max's emotions were a mixture of apprehension at what he'd just done and elation at having done it. This was a bad moment to be out of a job, it was true. But the thought of life without Amos...